welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello and welcome to a co-production of Great Shot Kid and Film Damage. I'm Mike. I'm John. And we're releasing this episode in both feeds because time is of the essence and, you know, we're, we're under the gun and uh, it's, it's a concept which is big enough that, that it needs, it's so big that it needs to be spread out over multiple locations. So yes. it, it might be a little weird, like if you're listening to this in the Great Shot Kid feed, you, you, you might be wondering why I'm introducing this instead of John. Um, and if you're listening to, to this in the film damage feed, you might be wondering why I'm not swearing. But <laughs> the, the, we need to, you know, just make it universal. Yeah, any crossover event, you got to have... Uh you got to have guidelines. And I, I would argue that people listening on Great Shot hearing you introduce it are grateful that you're the one taking the lead. So, you know, it's all a I, matter of point of view. I don't know about that. I do. Anyway, this weekend, specifically January 25th, 2019, is a very significant day and one which I've been looking forward to for like a couple of years now, I've had this in my back pocket, and then I forgot about it, and then I remembered it, and then I forgot about it, and then I realized that it was like coming up really fast, and, and this turned into an emergency podcast, even though I had been <laughs> planning to do it for years. But January 25th, 2019 is a very interesting day because it is the day... Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace becomes as old as Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope was when the Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope Special Edition was released. Now, just to make sure everybody is clear, <laughs> we are aware it's January, yes, and Mike is doing counting by actual proper day. Right. As opposed to just doing the the quick and dirty, oh, well, it's, it's May 20. of 1999. No. Right, exactly. This is the actual day. You know, Star Wars was released May 25th, 1977, and the special edition was released January 31st, 1997. Episode one, released May 19th, 1999. Today, January 25th, 2019. Perfectly splits the difference. Yeah. And if, and if this is as fun as, as we think it will be, we will do the same thing next month for episode two and the month after for episode three. It's going to be fun enough for that, Mike. All I right. promise you. Cool. I promise everyone. All right. So here's our idea. What if there was an episode one special edition that was being released today? What changes have occurred in terms of technology what changes have occurred in terms of storytelling second guessing or whatever uh what changes have actually occurred 
like in the various releases of the movie, and uh, what changes would need to occur in order to signal to people that this is a special edition, like the commoners, you know? I mean, right. like like when episode four came out as a special edition, everyone knew, like, okay, they've redone a lot of the, the effects with CGI, but there's there's an extra scene, you know, Jabba the Hutt's going to pop, pop up here. There might be some Rontos here and there. Maybe a Boba Fett will walk across the screen. Like, these are, like, noticeable changes. There were a lot of, mm-hmm. like, invisible changes, and we, we're not really going to get into those so much, but we're talking about, like, what... And, and, and certainly, like, even if, like, Lucas was like, the Jabba scene does not need to be there. We, we re-recorded all of this dialogue in the Greedo scene. It's no new information. It doesn't need to be there. Like, you still need to have it there from, like, a marketing perspective and everything. Right? Right. right. So let's kind of pretend that there weren't changes made for the DVD and the Blu-ray. And let's take a look at those first, because obviously those would have been included. Yes, I I definitely think so. I mean, I think that especially when you're looking at, you know, 20 years later special edition and the advance of uh, how much better the CG technology got. I mean, the Blu-ray gives us a guide right there. Yoda. Yeah. They would swap out the the puppet in a heartbeat. Yeah, that's definitely the biggest thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely no doubt about that one. The, uh, that's the whole reason I think that it exists in the first place on the Blu-ray is like, yeah, Puppet didn't work as well as we'd hoped. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, let's backtrack that one and mem- memory hole the first one, which I'm fine with. Yeah, so so that that's, that's the big change. There are a few other changes, though, too. Uh, noteworthy, two extended scenes, mm-hmm. right? which is they're almost impossible to kind of like think of as extended scenes now because that's the version that we've been watching forever. I mean, the only time the theatrical cut of this movie was released on home video was the Japanese Laserdisc. Yeah, that's true. They uh that's right. They had when the videotape came out, the VHS in America, they had changes even then. You're yeah. right. So the pod race is extended. Mhm. And there's that extended uh, sequence where they're flying around Coruscant. Yes, yes, that's correct. Was that wait? Was that in the VHS or did that not show up until the DVD? That might not have been until the DVD. Yeah, I'm but pretty sure that didn't show up. Is it the? I forget what was changed in the VHS. Uh, well, the VHS, the pod race was definitely different. That's okay. the only substantial change that I can recall mm-hmm. uh, from the VHS at this point. I mean, I don't even have the VHS in possession anymore. Um, no, I don't think I do either. Yeah, I mean, you know, yes, it's cute to hold on to that type of stuff, but at the same time, I mean, at the like, I have a couple of old VHSs, and I'm pretty sure that they'd snap if I tried to play them again. So I, I did hold on to the DVD uh, for apparently mm-hmm. this very situation. I knew sooner or later I would want to see as close a version to the the theatrical cut as I could, and that was going to be the the DVD. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, so so those changes obviously would occur, and I guess. You know, there are other changes which have been made throughout the years um, that are much more technical in nature, specifically converted into 3D. So that's mm-hmm. obviously something that would happen. And I would say just looking at the, the, the movie landscape of today, I also believe that this would have been remastered in 4K HDR. Oh, yeah. 
with Dolby Atmos or whatever, you know, the object-based surround sound formats. So yeah. I, I think that that would have been a given. Yeah, right? I you know, I almost wonder it's it's so it's so funny because uh I almost wonder if there's a part of of Lucas that maybe is a little bit sad that like these other four, like I, I say it's thanks to THX that these other formats, you know, find purchase and, and get developed and, and they're a trailblazer, but THX is no longer a, a theater setting that you look for. Like it's not, you, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it's a, it's a home mastering process still, but, I can't recall the last time I saw something that said it's a THX theater, you know, it certainly, um, started to go away and they are slowly, but surely trying to make a comeback. I kind of feel like they shot themselves in the, in the foot a little bit, uh, with, with some of their stuff. Uh, but, um, one of the things that they're doing and it's really kind of interesting. I mean, there are THX theaters out there, but the places where you'll find them most are at Cinemark's that have oh. like the ultra screen or whatever, a lot of those, or maybe all of them, I don't know, are THX certified. Okay. I, just, I had I had no idea because it's just been so long since I've even seen. I mean, I yeah. I still remember uh, the, the, the TAP, the THX alignment program, theater yeah. alignment program, uh, where they had a, an 800 number where you could tattle on the theater for falling below your expectations. Uh, sometime great. remind me to uh, tell you my story where I spent the night with a uh, tap technician trying to um, completely rewire a sound system before a uh, trade screening of episode three, Revenge of the Sith. That 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 must have been a thrilling evening, I imagine. But, uh, you know, I, I want to toss something out here because we're talking about the changes that, that would be there for the special editions, right? One thing that I've gone back and forth with is yeah. you can see in the behind-the-scenes documentary that Lucas decided to go, he, he had his producer hat on, and with the way that Jar Jar was done was, okay, blank plate, drop him in, completely CG, fewer people, less money, quicker turnaround. But, depending on your point of view, yeah. you, you may have seen what it looked like when they just animated the head, and you say, oh, well, that actually kind of looks better. Technology has marched to the point, do you think that he goes back and he revisits that and not completely, but changes some of the takes so that Liam Neeson is interacting with Ahmed best instead of reciting what he did, you know, to to a tennis ball or something like that. I really don't think so. I think that he, Lucas is so forward thinking with the CGI to the point of not even creating a clone trooper costume in the yeah. real world. That there's no way that he changes any of that stuff. I think if anything, okay. he, you know, I mean, what we're seeing is the opposite. He takes out the practical Yoda and puts in a CGI Yoda. And I mm -hmm. guess, you know, that that leads to, well, that leads to one of my changes that, that I see happening. But before we get into that, let's talk about um, some deleted scenes that we think might have been stuck back in for this theoretical special edition. I mean, it's kind of nice that we have like finished deleted scenes on the DVD so we can actually see what there was to, to, to play with and, and what scenes would sort of make the, uh, the first cut. I mean, well, I, I don't mean in terms of a, right. a, a movie cut, but the first cut in terms of like a playoff, you know, 
And uh, yeah, there's a lot of interesting scenes on there. And he gives his reasoning for taking them out, which makes me think that he wouldn't stick all of them back in. But I imagine in order to, you know, make an impact, he'd stick at least one of them in. So what mm-hmm. do you think he would he would reinsert? The only one that's really stuck with me through the years, because I think that it's a an interstitial that's actually kind of necessary that I wish had never been cut, is Qui-Gon spinning around and cutting down the probe droid and having that be the cue to Qui-Gon that, uh-oh, we'd better start running. Because as it is, it's fine the way that it plays, but all of a sudden they're running and it's like, I guess he's getting Anakin in shape, maybe? I don't know. But yeah, it that would play much smoother if it were in there. Hell yeah, that's the only part of the movie which feels like there's something missing because yeah. they're casually walking and then all of a sudden they're in like a dead heat sprint thing and you're like, why are they running? What's going on? You know, and he's like all tense and everything and it's like, what happened? And and I know like on the DVD, like Lucas says like, well, we already established like the probe droid and everything like that. We don't need anything more. We don't need to see that it's actually like following them, but you do need that because of what comes before and after it. it mm-hmm. It's a, it's a cr- crappy transition otherwise. And it's not like that scene's tremendously intrusive. It's only like a minute long, but it's something that if you were to stick that back in, it would flow so much better. And that's the mm-hmm. one edit that they made, which I feel like was a bad edit. You look at the other yep. stuff and you're like, Ooh, that does not need to be there at all, yeah. you know? So I, I think that they would add that back in, just like they added in the, the scene where uh, Biggs talks to Luke in the in the X-Wing room. Yes, yep. But I do think that that's not a lot of bang for your buck. Like, they weren't promoting the big scene, you know, because it's like, what? I mean, it is just a little interstitial thing, just kind of like this is... I think they would add something other than that. And I think the scene that they would add just because of sort of like what's involved with it, but also Lucas's reaction to it, according to the sort of behind the scenes stuff on the DVD, would be the waterfall scene. Yeah, I could see I could see them adding the waterfall scene back in. Um, you know, you talk about bang for your buck. And I don't know if that one carries that. That one I think is actually a very judicious and smart edit uh, because it keeps oh, them yeah. moving. Um, so, it doesn't belong in the movie at all. Yeah, I'm just trying. I'm just trying to internally debate right now. Am I, am I digging in my heels and saying no? They're not going to do that because I wouldn't want them to. Or am I, you, you know, like am I being honest with myself? I think that you're right. They do need to put something bigger back in there i almost wonder if they'd put in um more anakin on tatooine showing him beating up greedo and um the additional uh scene with jira i think that was her name the the old woman at the uh at the store um well you'd have that you would have that additional scene because that's right before the um the the probe droid thing, right? Well, yeah, but I mean, even the big thing didn't make it uh, unscathed into yeah. a new hope. So they they could very easily say, "No, let's just cut to them walking down the street." That's true, and having yeah. the probe droid behind them. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know. I mean, like, the, if they did the waterfall, I imagine they'd actually go back and revisit the Jar Jar effects. Uh, because the that's the one point where his effects really look very herky-jerky. Um, well, I think, so I, could, I mean, what they did for the DVD there is they were like, eh, we're not going to spend feature, you know, this, we're going to do oh, the... Um, the WGN level effects on this one, because let's not go crazy <laughs> here. You know, it is just for a DVD. So yeah, I think they would like spruce up the effects for that, but I do think that that's that would be the scene. I mean, like Rick McCallum on the DVD says, like as soon as they were talking about doing this, the very first thing that Lucas said is, let's put this back in the movie. And maybe McCallum was misspeaking or whatever, but it sounds like Lucas was really close to actually sticking it back in the movie, you know? Yeah. So, whatever. Anyway, so, okay, we're, we're in agreement as to what we would want to see in there, but maybe that isn't what they would actually put in there. Who knows? Yeah, and, and, of course, the pod race would be further tweaked because yeah. I don't think that thing has remained the same in any cut. Yeah, yeah. But okay, so so let's talk about some other changes that maybe we think they would make, which are a bit subtler in nature. Uh, we 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 each have a, a few, um, but what's what's one for you? Obi Wan's braid. What about the, uh, oh when when Qui Gon is on the Eopi talking to Obi Wan about going back to get Anakin and Obi-Wan has the uh, deliciously wonderful line, you know, why do I have a feeling that we've picked up another pathetic life form? Um, His braid is over the wrong shoulder. And Lucas explains that the reason it's in the wrong shoulder is because he shot it in reverse because he thought on set that the lighting was going to be different. And so he was just going to flip the shot. And he actually said, "I, I outsmarted myself because no, the lighting was right, and so we didn't flip it, and now his braid is on the wrong shoulder. And he just sort of, you know, huh, well, that's okay. And yeah, you know, it doesn't detach it, but once you notice it, you can't stop looking at it. It's like the wires coming out of the back of 3PO. Once you see it, it's never gone. And so I think that he that would be one of those subtle little tweaks that he would make. Yeah, he would do that, and he did things like that uh, in the original trilogy, you know, already. So... Yeah, that, I think you're right. That would definitely be something that that would be changed. Yeah, I, I, I definitely. I de- what, what, what would you have? Well, um, this one's kind of broad, but uh, Newt Gunray and the other Trade Federation guys. Mm-hmm. He would he would pull a Yoda on them, and he would CGI those guys out of existence. Do because, you think so? Yes, because when I was sitting there back in on May nineteenth, nineteen ninety nine, watching these things with their their practical effects, right? And I mean, we've already talked yeah. about his bias in that regard, and the fact that those mouths do not move at all, like mouths, he would just be like, "No, let's just do some CGI." Newt gun rays here and you know call it a day I don't think so I actually don't think so specifically because they kept the they could have done that with the sequels or the the prequel sequels is how I should say it um but they didn't they kept them uh the suits that they were I think he would do something probably like fiddle with their hands the way that he did with the Gamorrean guard that has its hand on Han's shoulder or maybe he would that, just fiddle with their mouths. Yeah, that that too. I could completely see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
um, just do something quick and dirty so that the, the mouths moved a little bit differently. I could absolutely see that. I don't think that he would swap them completely out, though. Yeah. Because I think, because the thing is, like, you know, we're sitting here talking about we're not going to, you know, on the DVD release, we're not going to rent, we're not going to spend feature money on Jar Jar on the Waterfall. Like, I don't think that they, the amount of work that would be involved in going back and doing that, I don't think is something that they would want to do. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Well, what's another change that you have? Uh, you know, honestly, uh, it, it's so difficult because I think a lot of them are informed by what they did on you know, on the Blu-ray because they, they cleaned up a lot of things on the Blu-ray where I was like, okay, that effect looks better. And I think they actually, he used some alternate cuts and sped up some cuts uh, here and there mm-hmm. uh, so that the movie flows better as a whole. Um, I think that one thing that I could I could see them doing is cleaning up some of the lower res uh, Naboo fighter shots in the space sequence um, and sprucing that up a little bit more because I know that they specifically got away with lower res stuff to save some money and time. And I think that there are a couple of shots. uh, There's specifically one over the back of Anakin's as he's flying to the battle that even moves wrong you know, quote-unquote wrong. So I think he, he would do that. He'd clean up uh, the fighter effects for sure. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, this is one which I think I, maybe I'm... I, I don't know. There, there's a thing which happens, of course, where... I mean, we saw this with the original trilogy special editions where they're like, okay, now, like, let's say Boba Fett is a thing, so let's have him walk across the screen or whatever. And there are things which were not mistakes or anything like that back in 1999, but... Now that other things have been done, they may alter the past in order to make it sync up a little bit better. And Mm -hmm. one of the things which I think they would do is get rid of Yaddle and the long neck dude from the Jedi Council. Really? You think they would? I think they would. Why? Because Yaddle is um, is, is a weird puppet thing. She's the best mm-hmm. puppet thing. I don't know why there hasn't been like a novel about Yaddle or anything like that. She's my favorite character in episode one. Mm-hmm. But I think the fact that we never saw her again makes me think he was like, uh, nah, that was a oh, weird fair. idea. And, you know, no, Yoda's a one of a kind. And, you know, we don't need to make him a race of whatever. He can just be a one of a kind guy. And with the long neck thing, I remember that was a big thing where he just doesn't show up again in the prequel trilogy. And the reason was because they didn't want any visual confusion with the long neck guys who create the clones in episode two. Uh, that That is actually a good point. Uh, Yarl Poof, or Yarl Poof, I think is, is long neck guys... Uh name you know that if he were made in 1977 his action figure would just be long neck guy yeah it, it like a, a giraffe alien or something like that yeah. yeah kenner would have been in charge of of naming him i would actually say that dovetails into something i was always curious whether they would do with the blu-ray and i'm i i mean i still think that there's a way or a place to do it even if it's just a shot just before or after the funeral of Dooku mm. stalking out 
or even seeing Dooku uncomfortably on the council and like walking out at the end or something like that just to tie in the fact that it's been established that Qui-Gon's death is what finally pushed him over the edge and I mean he's there long enough for Yoda to have talked to him about Obi-Wan so he knows about Obi-Wan and he trained Qui-Gon I think it's completely plausible that they drop in a CG Christopher Lee glowering or stalking off or something no that's really good I, that is 100 percent solid and that was going to be a, a question which i had for you which you know as someone who's much more familiar with the clone wars and the expanded universe uh you know are are there any characters who they would boba fett into the movie and i kept on thinking I mean, I didn't have like a place for it, but I kept on thinking like Ventress or something like that. But yes, Dooku makes perfect sense. It's it's perfect. And it, it's just, yeah, you could totally have him sitting on the council. You could even cut to a reaction shot of him if you want. And he's not saying anything. He's not doing anything. He's just there. That makes perfect sense. I, I like that a lot. Uh, I I can also say that possibly, uh, and maybe just because we keep referring to it as a, a Boba Fett insertion, that we could see somebody like Cad Bane dropped in next to Ara Singh, mm-hmm. so that they are both there, and it's that's a further nod to the fact that they work together yeah. uh, on the Clone Wars and stuff like that. But here I am, you know, babbling on. What would you see as an insertion? But aside from Ventress, like you, you've got another choice. I I didn't have any. I, I, d- oh. I don't, you know, I, that, that was my question to you. So, okay. yeah. So, so, but, but what, what about you? What, what would be another, another uh, change that you would make? Uh, you know, I don't know how many other changes I would. Um, okay. Well, okay. Well, let me, let me tell you two, which I, I would make. Okay. So I'm no going to tell you one, which is based on comments from George Lucas. And I'm going to tell you another, which I'm hoping will blow your mind. Oh, no. Okay. All right. I'm holding on here. Okay. So for the one which is based on something that Lucas said, I'm assuming he was kidding when he said this. But there was a thing. I'm pretty sure this was in Roger Ebert's Q&A thing. Every other week, Roger Ebert would do a, like, reader question column where people would submit questions and he would answer them. And after episode one came out, someone had a question which was basically, what the hell is going on with those energy doors at the end of episode one? (laughs) Where, you know, they're separated from uh, each other. You know, we're talking about the scene with Darth Maul, Qui-Gon, and Obi-Wan, and they're separated from each other, and you need to wait for the doors to open up and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. What was going on? And if I'm not mistaken, and this was 20 years ago, so I could be getting it wrong, but if I'm not mistaken, Roger Ebert just sent the question to George Lucas and uh, asked him. And Lucas was like, well, here's the idea. And I realized that in the execution, it may not be 100% clear, but that is something which I will fix in the special edition. I will you know, have a bird's eye view or something, which makes it clear what's going on with those doors. And I think that it's quite possible that he was kidding. You know, mm-hmm. he was he was being a little self-deprecating by talking about fixing things in a special edition. 
But I also think that maybe he would. Because it that isn't would be, it isn't tremendously clear. And you but could that would very be, easily do like an overhead CGI shot and clear things up. And it, it would be interesting because uh it is uh the 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 explanation that I'm familiar with is that they were basically surge control because you have those giant energy conduits that go down to the center of the planet and that was like a safety feature to keep them from discharging out and causing a catastrophe. So why are they going on a, a, a regular open close schedule? Is it a preventive measure? Does it keep the charge from building on the walkways? We don't know. So yeah, I mean, it, you could still find a way, I guess, to make it make more sense to have something pulse to show them. Yeah. I mean, that would make sense. Yeah. You show something else that pulses that triggers the doors to open and close, so you see that there's, it's part of a process. Sure, I could see that. Yeah. Okay, so here's my last one, right? Just came up with this yesterday. Okay. But I think it makes perfect sense, and I think they would do it, because mm-hmm. I think that now they've established something, and I think that they did do this in the uh, in, in the original stuff, or actually it was for the Blu-rays, but, you know, they did do it one time around and they like this consistency and I think they would do this. I think they would redub Darth Maul's voice with Sam Witwer. You did just blow my mind because that, <laughs> I think you're right. I think you are right. Mm-hmm. He's got so few lines and yes, I not only, not only do I think that's a beautiful conclusion to draw I'm behind it. I want us to let's yeah, what, change.org. Let's that make where we it start the petition. Yeah, th- this can happen. You know what? Sam Whit- Whitwer is a big nerd. You know, yeah. He's, I, I'm guessing he probably has access to a microphone somewhere. I think that he should do this on his own and let the internet <laughs> uh, have thing. at it. And uh, you know, let's let's see what. Uh, Darth Maul's scenes on episode one would look like if uh, Sam Witwer was voicing him. Now, you could always make the argument that after the tragedy, he has mentally broken and his voice changes because his nature has changed and stuff like that. But all that said, I I cannot love that suggestion any more than I do in this moment. It's a beautiful, beautiful thought. I mean, and that's the thing, right? Like with Boba Fett, like, it was a substantial difference, right? So it makes sense that they would change it. With the Emperor, it was a substantial difference. Like, the fact of the matter is Sam Witwer was doing his best... Uh, what's the guy's name? The guy from... Peter uh, Serafinowicz. Yeah, he's doing his best Peter Serafinowicz impression. And they're pretty damn close. So you could argue that it's not really needed. But it'd be pretty cool it if would, they did it. it it would be beautiful. Yeah. It would be absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I'm on board. I'm on board. Uh, and I, I don't. I think both of us can agree that they would not insert a stinger showing Darth Maul still alive. I don't think they would do that. At no, all. they wouldn't do that. No, but, you know. No. <laughs> what can you do? What can you do? I, you know, I'm still, you know, because we're we're talking about like the the little tweaks and everything. I'm so curious because I remember reading the uh, a piece of the script years and years ago. That the scene with uh, Obi Wan and Darth Maul was originally supposed to be uh, featuring a, a bunch of stuff flying around, 
Hmm. So you know how Vader threw stuff at Luke? Yeah. It was supposed to echo that in the sense that they were both throwing things at each other. And I think I may be inventing this reasoning in my head, but I think the reasoning was it's just going to be visually confusing to see that. Yeah. So they just said, no, no stuff flying around uh, for this. But, um, you know, that that would have been an interesting sort of thing to see. Sure. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's throw this question out to the listeners. Like, what do you think would be? And it's not what you want to see. It's not like take out all the Jar Jar Banks. Like, that's not right. what we're doing here. Right. We're, nope. we're, we're trying to be very objective about this and say not what it is we would want to see, but what it is we think we, we they would see. We would see, mm-hmm. you know. So so give us your sub- suggestions. Uh, hit us up on Twitter. Uh, at Mumbles Join 3K. Nerd Party. Oh, yeah. At Join Nerd yeah. Party, at Film Damage, at Mumbles 3K, or at uh, Castle, Castle Junkie. Junkie. Yeah. All, all comers, all takers uh, on this. That's right. This is a special uh, two outlet uh, presentation. So any of those will get in touch with either of us. Yeah. So, so yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to hear what other people's. Uh, reactions are or thoughts are on this subject yeah yeah it is it's it's so funny because the perception for many many years was that phantom menace was reviled but the truth of the matter is is that it's still at least well liked if not beloved and there are people who still have this feeling that with just a few tweaks here and there, it would be so much closer to what they wanted. I think we could see a, a, a wide range of suggestions about how people would approach it and, uh, you know, contribute ideas to the special edition for sure. Yeah. Uh, where else can people find you, John? Oh, geez. Um, well, you know, if, if you're looking over, you know, obviously great shot kid, uh, you and me were, we're, we're resurrecting that, but uh, over on the nerd party, I'm co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations with Matthew Rushing, uh, which is a Star Wars podcast of a slightly different flavor. And you can also find both of us there uh, co-hosting Retro Perspective, where we're going a week at a time through the year 1994. And it's proving to be a magnificent uh, journey so far, simply because we have established what we're calling the Esther House effect. (laughs) So go on that journey of discovery with us uh, over on Retro Perspective. And uh, Mike, where else can people find you? Yeah, you can find me on the Nerd Party doing doing Retro Perspective with you. Well, we talk about the Esther House effect in Monday's episode, so check that out. And uh, you can also find me uh, right now on Trek.fm doing Tracks from the Edge, where we take a look at uh, all of the new episodes of Star Trek Discovery, providing audio commentary for each one. And if you're listening to us on filmdamagepod.com, uh, check out Great Shot Kid on The Nerd Party. And if you're listening to us on thenerdparty.com, check out Film Damage. Yeah, so uh, w- since we're doing a crossover and we have so many other <laughs> other shows that you and I appear on, I don't know what ending we're supposed to use on this one. What do you think? Uh, well, I would say be sure to check your loops. I don't know what we would say on Great Shot Kid. I can't even remember anymore. Oh, I think we were saying the balcony is closed in a uh, in an allusion to Siskel and Ebert. Gotcha. Yeah, and on Retro Perspective, of course, it's... 
Be Kind Rewind. There you go. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.